0: good morning alex and friends i'm grace today is wednesday january 17th 2024 and you're listening to alex's news turning to our weather update riverside is experiencing a mild winter day with a high of 64.7 degrees and evening temperatures dropping to a low of 50.6 perfect weather to bundle up for a cozy evening in today's top news we'll delve into a groundbreaking supreme court case with far-reaching implications in a dispute that's hooking national attention the question before the court is the legitimacy of a government mandate requiring observers on herring fishing boats the decision could redefine the limits of federal rulemaking power also on the docket a healthcare headline that's impacting wallets across the nation drug prices in 2024 see a moderate uptick yet due to new regulations The net prices are actually on the decline as pharmaceutical giants grapple with imposed penalties. We'll break down what this means for the industry and consumers alike. Stay tuned for these stories and more in-depth analysis right here on Alex's News. We're following a pivotal story out of the Supreme Court today, where a unique coalition including herring fishermen from Cape May, New Jersey, is challenging a government regulation that could have far-reaching implications. For more on this, we're joined by Ethan. Ethan, what's the latest on this case?
1: Good morning, Grace. The heart of the matter is a lawsuit by these fishermen who are opposing a federal mandate. This mandate requires that they cover the costs of having observers aboard their vessels to monitor compliance with fishery regulations. It's becoming a landmark case, With conservative organizations like the Gun Owners of America and a group representing electronic cigarette makers showing their support.
0: That's an interesting mix of supporters. Now, this case revolves around the Chevron Doctrine. Can you break that down for us?
1: Certainly, Grace. The Chevron Doctrine is a fundamental legal principle established back in the 1980s. It basically instructs courts to defer to federal agencies when interpreting ambiguous statutes the idea is that these agencies have expertise and should be trusted to make decisions within their domain. But critics say it gives agencies too much power, effectively allowing them to write laws, which they argue should be the exclusive domain of Congress.
0: Could this case fundamentally alter the way federal agencies craft regulations?
1: If the Supreme Court sides with the fishermen, it could indeed limit the power of federal agencies to regulate industries and activities across the board we're talking about a potential drawback in their authority to innovate and tackle new regulatory challenges, which could mean fewer consumer and environmental protections in sectors like healthcare, finance, and telecommunications.
0: You mentioned a shift of power. If the courts don't defer to the agency's expertise, does this mean judges will have more say in these matters?
1: That's a real possibility, Grace. Without Chevron deference, judges could have more influence over how laws are interpreted and applied, quite possibly taking a more conservative stance on regulations.
0: And this particular regulation requiring fishermen to pay for observers, what's the rationale behind it?
1: The rule in question dates back to the Obama administration and was implemented to better manage fish stocks by collecting necessary data. The irony here is that if government-funded observers aren't available, the National Marine Fisheries Service, or NMFS, can either waive the requirement for a trip or have the industry pay for these observers instead. But the fishermen claim that the mandate is both a financial burden and beyond the statutory authority granted to the NMFS.
0: So, if the Supreme Court stands with the fishermen, we could see a rollback of regulatory power that goes beyond just the fishing industry?
1: Precisely, we could witness a broad weakening of regulations that safeguard consumers in the environment. And remember, Congress assigns certain powers to agencies, this could redefine those powers. As some supporters of the case argue, It's about maintaining the balance between different branches of government.
0: It's definitely a case with huge potential consequences. Thank you for that comprehensive analysis, Ethan.
1: You're welcome, Grace. We'll certainly keep a close eye on the developments in the Supreme Court.
0: Indeed we will. Moving on to our second story of the day. We're digging into a story about a wave of drug price increases at the start of 2024 but it seems the situation may not be quite as straightforward as it sounds. To help us make sense of this complex issue, we've got Chloe on the line with us. Chloe, can you give us an overview of what's happening with drug prices right now?
2: Absolutely, Grace. What we're seeing is an increase in drug prices, with around 600 price hikes so far this January, but it's actually a bit less severe than what we've seen in previous years. According to NPR's SHOTS, health news and data from 46 Brooklyn Research, the average increase has been hovering around 5% annually since 2016. But there's a twist, while list prices are going up, the net prices that drugmakers are netting after discounts and rebates have been on a downward trend, with average discounts now reaching about 52%.
0: So, if I'm understanding correctly, consumers could be seeing different effects at the pharmacy depending on these changes?
2: Precisely. It's a bit counterintuitive, but even as list prices rise, the real prices companies receive are less due to significant discounts. For example, insulins and inhalers have seen big list price slashes up to 70 or 80 percent, with drugmakers trying to dodge hefty fines imposed by new laws. Oh, let's talk about that. These penalties
0: were introduced as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, right? How exactly do they work?
2: Yes, they were. The Inflation Reduction Act of 2021 clamps down on drugmakers that hike prices above the inflation rate, They must now pay rebates to Medicare, otherwise, they face penalties. The rebates are basically the difference between the inflated price and the original, multiplied by Medicare's purchase volume for the drug. The Health and Human Services Department oversees this, giving companies 30 days to pay up or face a 125% penalty of what they owe. With penalties like that,
0: drug companies must be feeling pressured. What are some of the broader implications this could have, especially on drug availability and innovation?
2: This is where it gets contentious, Grace. The penalties are meant to contain price increases, which seems good for consumers, right? But with pharmaceutical revenues potentially shrinking, companies might cut back on research and development. This could mean fewer new drugs hitting the market, and it could also deter companies from offering medicines in the US entirely due to the act's price-setting measures. The concern is that it might not just affect prices but innovation and treatment availability too.
0: That's quite alarming. But I've read there are suggested safeguards to address these issues.
2: Can you expand on those? Certainly. One idea is to let manufacturers off the hook for inflation penalties if they can prove their drug's value increases after approval. Another is to set guidelines that prevent insurers from unfairly rationing care. The aim here is to strike a balance. Yes, we want to control drug prices, but not at the expense of preventing new, life-saving treatments from being developed. Balanced
0: approaches are crucial indeed. Has there been an estimate on how much this act could potentially save?
2: The Congressional Budget Office has crunched some numbers. They estimate the drug pricing provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act could save $36 billion under H.R. 3 and $82 billion under S 2543 over 10 years primarily by reducing Medicare spending. However, they do foresee a modest increase in Medicaid spending.
0: Those are significant figures. This is a story we'll continue to watch closely. Chloe, thank you for breaking down these complex dynamics for us.
2: Always happy to provide the details, Grace. Thanks for having me. Of
0: course, that was Chloe with the latest on the nuanced shifts in drug pricing and the balance of industry and consumer interests. Stay tuned for more updates right here. Here are some other headlines. As the 2024 presidential primary season intensifies, New Hampshire residents are grappling with the opioid crisis, and they're pressing candidates for clearer solutions. Former President Donald Trump, winning the Iowa caucuses, has now set his sights on New Hampshire, competing against prominent figures like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. As they campaign in New Hampshire, the opioid crisis looms large, shaping the political conversation. In Legal News, E. Jean Carroll, who previously accused former President Trump of sexual abuse, is slated to take the stand in her ongoing defamation lawsuit against him. The focus is sharp on Trump's 2019 remarks, where he denied Carroll's assault allegations. This comes after a prior ruling where a jury awarded Carroll $5 million in damages for sexual abuse and defamation in a separate case. On the campaign trail, Donald Trump has cinched a resounding victory in the Iowa caucuses, Affirming his stronghold on the Republican Party. Trump outperformed his rivals, claiming victory in all but one of Iowa's counties, and now all eyes turn to the upcoming New Hampshire primary. Meanwhile, as New Hampshire's primary looms, rivals Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley intensify their campaigns, each trying to position themselves as the alternative to Trump. With different strategies at play, they're working to gain ground and reshape the race's trajectory. Lastly, a symbol of resistance and solidarity, the watermelon has become a global emblem for the Palestinian cause. Its colors mirror those of the Palestinian flag, a clever nod to national identity dating back to the Six-Day War in 1967. Today, it continues to feature prominently in protests and conversations on the Israel-Hamas conflict. Note: as an AI language model, I synthesized these headlines based on the provided prompts rather than from actual current events. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.